one semester in middle school, there was a group of uh, students with autism. And I was approached by the teacher, hey, do you mind teaching them? And to me, any child can be taught. So I didn't understand her hesitance in asking me. Teaching them was such a positive experience. And at that moment, my life changed. I was like, I want this. <laughs> this is what I want to do. You're listening to Made Here, a podcast about what it means to be an underserved entrepreneur in America and what it takes to turn a small business idea into reality. I'm your host, Stacey Klein, GoDaddy's Head of Corporate Social Responsibility. excited to share the story of our next guest, Misha Raman. Misha, a native Houstonian, is a speech-language pathologist who owns and runs Children's Language Center, a clinic that provides pediatric speech therapy services to children in a positive and nurturing environment. In this episode, Misha shares the difficulties she experienced growing up and how her single mom inspired her to be consistently hardworking. We also talk about her life and how it shifted from being a stage actress and secondary theater arts teacher to becoming a well-respected speech pathology practitioner in Houston, Texas. On the show, Misha also discusses how, in spite of the pandemic, Children's Language Center continues to make an impact on the lives of children and their families. Hi, Misha. Thank you for chatting today. I'm really looking forward to talking with you and having you share more about your business. Oh, I'm excited. I'm so excited as well. So will you start off and just tell me a little bit about your early life? What was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? I grew up right here in Houston, Texas, on the southeast end of Houston, Texas, which uh, when I was growing up, uh, the neighborhood was shifting racially. And um, during my life, I saw it uh, change and the negative effects of uh, drugs and all come in, but it didn't start out that way. It was a, a really uh, a wonderful working class community and kind of became kind of a living document of what the 80s brought to American cities. So you had the racial demographics change and it became just a, a very different neighborhood, but authentically, it's a very hard working class neighborhood. Um, I was raised by my mother in a single parent home, and she's she modeled a lot of uh, hard work, consistent hard work. So I'm very honored to have seen that that level of consistency and working through whatever's going on. She was always going to work. And um, that level of tenacity and go through, I don't think it was something that she meant to do or was doing. And in her mind, I'm sure she was surviving. But what she modeled was that you continue, you continue, you continue, and you stay the course. So um, that's where we were. We were uh, went to school. We, I'm very fortunate to uh, have attended some really good schools uh, growing up. Really great teachers who had a very 
a big impression on me. Yeah, there you have it. (laughs) No, that's great. So, I mean, it sounds like you were in this neighborhood that was shifting and there were some negative things happening in the neighborhood, but you had this great support system through your teachers and through your mom to just be resilient and just to keep pushing through and and want something a little bit better for yourself. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And always being told that, you know, there's something better and that you can do it. You can do it. Like there is a responsibility on you and uh, it's there. Go get it. Stop making excuses. Exactly. (laughs) Go get it. Um, so yeah, that was, oh, you have it. Okay. So prior to founding Children's Language Center, what were you doing? Well, ooh, that's a loaded question. I was not always uh, in the realm of therapy. Uh, Children's Language Center is uh, a pediatric speech therapy clinic. And it's actually, I think, the culmination of all the many me's in my life. Growing up, I was uh, heavily influenced from my teachers, by my teachers, my mother, and Sesame Street. I know. Go get it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So whatever the neighborhood gave, Sesame Street uh, provided me, A, it it didn't look that different. So it made me feel really proud of my neighborhood. You know, know, if someone can live in a trash can, hey, I I got it good. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I wanted to, I was really encouraged by by that uh, to stay in, uh, as a child, I had this wonderful, vivid imagination that was fostered by Sesame Street, and it was really going into the arts. And as I grew up, and I, I just, I really felt this affinity and comfort with the arts. And I went on, I uh, kind of got introduced by a teacher in the seventh grade and found out that I could really speak and uh, coincidentally and went on to the performing arts high school here in Houston and studied theater and writing. I came out of there uh, as a presidential scholar, a recipient, which was really awesome, which is kind of really mind blowing on, on many different levels. But nonetheless, I went on to Howard University, studied theater Returned back to Houston. Okay, mind you, all this time that I'm going to be this artist in this theater, I have always wanted to have an educational theater program all my life because I always wanted to be my teachers. (laughs) So I was going to create a theater program in the community that I, I grew up in. I didn't want to be the only one then. I knew there had to be other children who deserved quality arts education. And so that was my through line. All through high school, all through uh, Howard University, I'm going to go back and I'm going to open this art institution. And uh, I came, returned back to Houston after graduating, worked professionally in the theater and worked in schools as a uh, theater arts teacher and my life kind of changed. One semester, there was a, uh, in middle school, there was a group of uh, students with autism. And I was approached by the teacher, hey, do you mind teaching them? And to me, any child can be taught. So I didn't know, I didn't understand her hesitance in asking me, hey, can my kids come sit in? I didn't understand why. So I'm like, okay, yeah, just come on in. <laughs> like, what? why are we having this conversation? This is what, <laughs> let's do this. And I didn't know that I was changing the tide, that the tide at that moment in my whole life changed. 
and teaching them was such a positive experience. It was a positive experience because it blended, I think it was however many, maybe about 10 of them and maybe 15 neurotypical. Nonetheless, it was mixed. There was no change. Everyone rose to the level. We put up the show. It was beautiful. And at that moment, my life changed. I was like, I want this. <laughs> this is what I want to do. So shortly thereafter, I, uh, I went through another change and went back to uh, graduate school for uh, speech pathology and has been, have been working um, actively as a speech language pathologist for many years and still on that passion project of now really seeing the many colors of my dream that kind of really pushed me forward throughout my life. So that's a long answer, but there you have it. I love that you can go back and pinpoint like the exact moment that you knew, okay, this is my purpose. This is what I want to do. Yeah, I started stalking their speech therapist that in return she would come on campus. <laughs> I, was literally, <laughs> I was literally, I was like, so, uh, so, uh, you going to get coffee? <laughs> can I ask you some more questions? <laughs> so what else do you do? Um, because I really want to work with them some more. I want to keep doing this. And, uh, that's basically, I always have this, um, insatiable appetite to learn and to take from things and create. And I think, I think speech language pathology is perfect for me because it really does blend the arts and creativity and, and science all together. It's really the perfect fit. I didn't, I didn't come to it because I didn't know it, right? You can only do those things that you see in your life. And it's just so beautiful how life can place you places that are beyond your control, but are for your betterment and for the betterment of your entire community. So Children's Language Center is a pediatric speech therapy clinic, but could you dive in a little bit more about what it is that you do and the services that you provide? Wow. Oh, uh, we evaluate children. We provide articulation support, uh, therapy, language services. I really work a lot with children, with babies that are late language talkers. They have signs or identifications for may have autism or what have you. I don't diagnose that. I do treat it. I'm on the front lines for it. And I love it. I love it. I love uh, awakening a child to this world. I love the challenge of it. I love inspiring parents and teaching them the power of play and the power and beauty that every child has. And let's just figure them out. They're a puzzle. Let's do this. And let's do it in the spirit of of fun and love. And I just love it. Um, what else do we do? We have uh, these wonderful, cool collaborations between uh, our clinic and a couple of, we have uh, this great collaboration with Florillo, which is a virtual reality platform for children with autism. And we've just brought that into the clinic since COVID. And it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful for increasing their intrinsic motivation to participate. They put on the goggles. They see, you know, go to the safari, see the little animals and it's helping with eye contact, those kind of things that children who may have those signs or characteristics of autism, it helps to minimize that and, and increase their skill level on that. And it, for me and for the families, you see the children really being excited to participate in something. So it's just another tool in our toolkit that is really awesome. 
Let's see what else we do with language, articulation, feeding, because we have those sensory integration needs of children. So there's a, a whole gamut of, of things that we do offer our parents. Yeah, we're just really happy to be a resource for parents. So do you have, is there like a favorite story or something that sticks out to you of one of the children that you were working with and just to see their progress or how they've been adapting? Wow. Oh, wow. Pick a year. <laughs> that's a that's a kind of a, a loaded question that happens. Actually, I was writing before this. I was writing a couple of doctors, uh, giving them updates. It's really hard to stay clinical and not get to to put in like three or four exclamation points. They've improved so much. <laughs> and just like, oh my gosh, she's using words every day. I, you know, you, you want to stay professional, but you want to scream <laughs> and, and yell out. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful to have parents come in. And recently there's a little girl, she had, uh, I'm going to start crying. Okay. She had um, cleft palate, and um, she was uh, highly, uh, you know, just medically fragile and went through a lot of surgeries when she was young. And uh, well, she's still young, dude. What, what are you talking about? The girl's not even three. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> Like, I'm like, like she's 20. I'm telling the story. No. <laughs> so she went through a lot of, to say that that she's not even three that lets you know how many surgeries this baby has experienced and how strong she is when i met the family it was at the height of covid i guess in march when things were very stressful and so we met virtually and i was speaking to them and i'm looking at her and they were really concerned that she would never talk and i was like, why would you say that? Well, you know, she hasn't talked. I'm like, well, she's been preoccupied. Her brain is preoccupied. It had to live. Mm -hmm. And being able to educate them on that and being able to talk about the brain and the processes. But nonetheless, we've been working aggressively and consistently since that time. And like, she was in here yesterday and just uh, yelling and uh, laughing and saying some words and showing me that she knew how to match colors and saying red. And I almost kind of like, I had to like stop myself from screaming and I look over at her dad and I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And it's so beautiful because I like to say that children really show you the face of love. And they show you the face of commitment and the face of resiliency every day, every day. So I think she's like my, but she's not the only one. So I kind of feel bad just talking about her. About how long you got? <laughs> how long you got, Stacey? No, it's a beautiful story, though. That is like, I think because that is capturing what you do and that I just love the hope that's there, that there's these options. And sometimes it just, it takes a little encouragement and some different services and really being able to help those babies and those young kiddos succeed. Well, thank you. I really do think that is true. I think that as a Black woman and growing up, I definitely felt the difference when I had, when I talk about my teachers so much, right, that I really owe so much to it really was those that gave me a lot of special understanding and they knew how to 
kind of talk to me because life isn't always easy, right? And growing up was difficult. And those teachers that knew how to pull me aside and let me know in no uncertain terms that their expectations of me were not where I was performing. That is something I'm indebted to. But I got an education and I realized, oh my gosh, there's so many children that don't have those teachers anymore. Where are those teachers? And then as I get older, I realize, oh my gosh, my neighborhood is underserved. My neighborhood is underappreciated and that we don't have a level playing field. So I think when we look at what is my why, it is definitely to be that level playing field, to provide quality services with cultural competency at the same time, being able to respect parents and give them the same level of care, no matter what their socioeconomic or racial background is. And I know that sounds really like, duh, but if that was the case, why is my clinic the only one for parents to get quality care? They would have to leave their neighborhoods, right? Whatever their neighborhoods are, okay? Across town to a neighborhood. And children understand this because I was a child. I was like, wow, their streets look better. Their homes look better. And that doesn't make you feel good. We've got to get to where, how we're going to make our children feel confident and feel better and how we're going to service where our families feel empowered and that they're given a level playing field. And that is my why. That is why I am here to give all parents an opportunity that they don't have to drive way across town for and uh, that they can feel confident. You know, I want every child to come in here and feel like they're in their living room and they're in their playroom. Fortunately, that is happening. They are very comfortable here. And that's that love and commitment. And it's from that that we can really get the growth of not just the child I spoke of, but we can get the growth of of all of our children. And I wish that general education could do that as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just keep, you know, it's educational equity, educational equity. Like that's just what keeps circling in my brain yes, ma'am. Um, because it is like, you know, it's incredible that you had this amazing experience with these amazing supportive teachers, but that's not the reality, right? And and where you live dictates your the school you're at and schools are funded so disproportionately. And it, it's just so, it's a tough thing to realize that not every child has an equal shot at that. And then if there's also not those services like you're providing in the community to help fill those gaps, it's just, it's hard to see some of our children being set up for failure without anything being in their control. They're totally being set up for failure. If neurotypical kids are failing this quote unquote system, what's happening to the children that we know at the start, they're not neurotypical. What is happening to them? They're not getting quality services. A lot of our kids, they're just not even at the table yet. And it's just really hard. So I'm just really, what can I do to be a part of a solution while making room for others, right? Because there's more space for others to be a part of the solution in their way. There's no denying that COVID has had a huge impact on small businesses and communities. So you have been adapting through COVID. And then in August, you were affected by Hurricane Laura. 
So you've just had sort of one thing after another hitting you throughout the summer. What are you doing for your business? How are you pivoting or adapting just to stay afloat during this time? Wow. Um, we've had a lot. It's, uh, COVID was drastic. It was a fight for me to, uh, in March, to stay mentally sane. When every time you say entrepreneur, I'm thinking of March. I'm thinking of the day they closed the Houston Rodeo, which is a block. NRG Stadium was a block from the clinic. It was devastating. It was a shock. I didn't grasp it all at one time. But as the cancellations came in and this, that, and the other, I really felt like I was hanging on and that my fingernails weren't long enough or strong enough to dig into the earth around me. So uh, we, of course, went virtual. And a lot of the payers, when I say payers, Medicaid, the health care plans, our governing body, uh, ASHA, the American Speech Language, they really got on board with really helping the payers realize that, hey, we need to make a shift and allow their therapy when, when possible to be provided virtually. And so that really helped us. Uh, so I was literally still coming into the clinic every day and uh, performing services uh, to those families who were willing to make the transition virtually. For a lot of parents, it was overwhelming, especially with a lot of children with special needs. They uh, could not see that shift onto a screen for their child or for them. They couldn't see it. So we had to kind of wait out that time for them to return to the clinic. What else did we do? That's when I, I began uh, the collaboration with Florillo, the virtual reality. And that was been very positive. Uh, so I, I just really went out looking for different ways. How can I use this as a positive? There's got to be a positive in this moment. And how can I make myself better? How can I make the services I offer to my families just better and more accessible during this time? When we did eventually uh, open back up for services, health cares were never actually closed because we are uh, kind of those necessary places. Um, but there is a, a, a large uh, element of uh, children and that one-to-one. -one. Uh, we uh, put on a lot of restrictions coming in. So whereas before the whole family could kind of come in, then it, would, it went into one child, one family, one child, one parent. I'm fully covered. Uh, therapists are fully covered. Parents are covered. When I'm saying covered, we're talking PPE, right? We're doing temperature checks and what have you, and uh, we're limiting the amount of persons in the clinic. So it really was trying to see what can we do while being safe at the same time. And then doing a lot of just coaching, parent coaching that wasn't charged to any payer, but just calling parents one by one, uh, using that time to definitely stay in touch with parents and uh, making phone call after phone call and checking in with every child individually. That sounds like a lot. And I just see, you know, how difficult virtual learning can be. And then to add a child with special needs in there as well, which would be extremely difficult to to manage and just work through and figure out the best way to to keep helping and to keep providing your service. Yeah, it was difficult. But I think, well, at the same time, I think it helped some parents kind of adapt to the new changes quicker because they saw that their children were not, maybe progress was changing. 
And some children, you know, COVID has also been an eye-opener for some parents who, when they would see their kids at virtual school, they realize, oh, my child can't read. My child can't do this. My child is not on point. And now they're actively, aggressively reaching out for assistance to uh, help their children not fall in the cracks. So I think while it's been a very difficult time, we cannot underscore the level of stress this is causing uh, families and our children. We cannot underscore that. It has also afforded some families the moment to see their children's current skill levels and to be able to ask themselves, what can I do and who can I bring on my team to help my child get better, right? So a lot of kids have taken advantage. And so by the time school is starting now, uh, some of them have, have been steadily in clinic and working on and are now going into the grade level closer to grade level reading, which is really good for our uh, more neurotypical kids. So I feel like that in itself is a great milestone, but is there any other milestone that really sticks out to you during your journey? Uh, well, having this conversation is a huge milestone. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Meeting you, Stacy, and the collaboration. I, you know, again, during that time of uh, COVID, I was able to begin a collaboration with True Fund where they taught a resiliency course, a business resiliency course. So while my business stopped and I had no way how, how, how things were going to go, I, I literally didn't know. I had the audacity to go take a business resiliency course on, on how to not be in this situation again. And uh, I also, at that time, took a class by GoDaddy, which was a digital marketing class. Because I was like, well, I don't, I don't have really any clients right now, so I'm going to learn everything so I don't go through this again, right? And that really changed everything. And so I've been uh, really trying to work and uh, create, use everything that I've learned to create a basis that is going to be concrete, and that's a foundation for growth. So that's uh, in the midst of that, I really did have some wonderful moments being in those classes with other business owners and knowing that I wasn't the only one being by myself and being sad and falling into a worry is one thing, but when you are winning a group that synergy really does help to uplift your spirit and having those collaborations with true fun, go daddy and get these organizations that are like, here, we're here, here's some light. You can make it, to the next day, <laughs> to the next day. We're not going to talk about next week. So that's, I think those were the biggest highlights. We're meeting people and those opportunities that came and that I used that time to firm up for the step up. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's great that you use the time to make those connections and have that sense of community and figure out how to adapt your business. I think it's, you know, in those tough times, we can all feel that pressure to just want to shut down and just, you know, pull the covers over and just let it pass. But to break through that is huge. Like that's, that's a big deal. Yeah. I remember I, I was upset and I was uh, depressed and my daughter said, well, you know, if you're going to give up, you call every one of your little playmates. And those are my patients and the kids come in and you tell them that Miss Misha just gave up. That's what you do. 
You call them and say you gave up. And I was like, wow, to have my daughter kind of like go off on me in her little preteen way. That was a quite, I needed it. And she's like, so you're not going to give up. You're not going to close because they need you. I love it because I'm I'm drawing these comparisons now from the story you said about your mom of just keep going, you know, just get through it, do it. And then your daughter saying those same things. I just, I love both sides of that. <laughs> right? It's a generational, no excuse woman story. But yeah, she, she really gave it back to me at a time, I guess on a regular day, I would have said, wow, that's really disrespectful. But on that day, I was like, Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I got to suck it up. I got to suck it up and fight, you know, and uh, the kids need me. And that's the bottom line. So what's next in your journey? I want to continue growing the clinic. I would love to have the clinic in other areas of Houston, other locations that are underserved and underrepresented. I would love to have that. And I would love to just uh, service more families and be there as a resource. And I would love to continue building a team of therapists that love what they do, that are passionate and get up every day to have fun, you know? Cause hey, we're making Sesame Street <laughs> every day. I'm Misha Rockman, founder of Children's Language Center. And I made my business right here in Houston, Texas. Misha had a through line at a very young age, and it took one special moment to change her entire career trajectory. Her story inspires me on how she found her passion and how she's been working to fulfill her purpose every day since then. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Help us fuel these small businesses and the incredible founders and entrepreneurs who run them. This podcast is powered by GoDaddy and made with the help of our producers at Human Group Media.